All right, I appreciate uh, Caleb leading us in our study last week. He covered about uh, 17 chapters in 40 minutes, and I appreciate his willingness to cover a large portion of territory in my absence. One thing, uh, I was talking with Caleb about some of the high points of his study, and I'm really glad that he kind of was impressed by and stressed to you uh, chapter 28, verse 10 and verse 20. And I'm surprised that there's not been a lawsuit from outside of Portland, Oregon, with a company that owns the swoosh uh, over this particular verse. Before Nike came up with just do it, uh, God came up with do it or just do it. Uh, and, I, and I like the fact that Caleb kind of pointed out these two verses where uh, David is giving, and, and by, by virtue, God uh, instructions. Verse 10, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Uh, a lot of times we think about being strong and courageous, which was one of our themes Sunday morning. But to add on to it, be strong, be courageous. Is that enough? Not exactly. You have to apply it. You have to do it. Similarly, uh, verse 20, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you, will not leave you nor forsake you until the work is finished. So I thought that I'm glad that Caleb brought that out last week. Is there anything last week that was not covered in those, in the, in serious, I think eight chapters was the territory that you said that you've stewed about for a week and you wanted to make sure you mentioned, or not stewed about, uh, that sounds negative, but you've thought about for a week that you wanted to bring up from those eight chapters. Anything we need to make mention of? All right, I want you to reach back into your brains two weeks ago. Now, we're really stressing you out now. Go back two weeks ago tonight when we were studying chapter 24, and towards the end of our study, we were running out of time. Our actual text tonight, for those of you that have the outline, is not even in 2 Samuel because we are finishing up 2 Samuel and we're getting into 1 and 2 Kings. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 is, is our real focus tonight. And we'll get there in 5 or 10 minutes. But I want to go back to this. And that is the ability to effectively defend, or maybe I should have used the word explain, Second uh, Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. Uh, Daniel Chandler has a 10-minute presentation on this that he's going to provide for you on YouTube. Uh, I'm, I'm, he doesn't, but I was joking with Daniel that his job was to come up with a way to explain this. I don't think it's hard to explain uh, but I do think we need to be able to confront someone in a loving way who says this is where God forced David into sinning. And this goes in the vein with moving Pharaoh uh, in the book of Exodus. We talked about it for 30 seconds, but hopefully now that you've had 14 days to think about it, I wanted to give 60 seconds to two minutes worth of time uh, of explaining this particular passage. I'm reading from the New King James Version where it says, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So how would you explain this?
And if it's short, you can just shout it out if it's a little bit longer. Uh, Miss Tolly, all the way over there on your left, Dale. I think Tolly and I actually talked about it two weeks ago. Well, I remember Mr. Danny hadn't mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, First Chronicles 21.1, when it said that Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Absolutely. This is one of those, this is a great, incidentally, I'm glad that Tolly mentioned that, and I put up First Chronicles 21. Uh, this is a great example of studying the comparative text in the Bible. Not that only reading 2 Samuel leads you in the wrong direction, but 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 21 does seem to help. Anything, uh, Brother Sam, all the way up here in front. Uh, I really appreciate you mentioning that, Tolly. You know, I, I don't have any right on, on the top of my head right now that I can think of, but there are other places throughout the scriptures where we see something like this, where you either read like God moved or Satan moved or some, somebody moved. The, the point is, we don't know how that was done. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are times where other people may have talked to someone and question their motive or put something in their head. And based on that, they did something. Mm-hmm. Now, they may not have been forced to do it, but because they were having the conversation or the question came up or whatever, they were moved to have a response. And so my answer to this would be, it's not necessarily a contradiction, but until we have all of the data, which we clearly don't have, mm-hmm. We don't know how that was done. So to automatically think the worst is, would be wrong in our part. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you for sharing that. Other thoughts in our estimate? I think we've done a good job of uh, over the last two weeks. Coming, uh, Brother Gary, next time, next time throw up a, a signal. Brother, is that, is that Gary? My eyes are getting bad. I can't. Some very good-looking person. Well, a couple of comments. One, you already mentioned it, and that was Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will that made Pharaoh do this. But Pharaoh's response to what God had done was an indication of, of Pharaoh's heart and character. Same thing here with David. David's heart. But also, when you think about Job and the fact that God allowed Satan to test Job, but God was still in control, mm-hmm. I think this, it might be a situation similar to that. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But in any case, we see David's response to an action whatever caused that action. And so David's response was incorrect, just like Pharaoh's response was incorrect. Excellent. And we're going to make reference, Brother John over here, thank thank you, Carrie, to a verse that talks about David's heart, nine verses down into the text. Well, ten verses down. Brother John. Go along with what Carrie just said. First Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful and he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with every temptation provide a way of escape. Now, Second Samuel 24, verse 1, doesn't say that God made David do anything. Mm-hmm. 
but there was a temptation. So uh, I, I would, you know, just thinking about it, it maybe he allowed saving, Satan to tempt him some way like he did with Job. But that doesn't mean David had to fall for it. God always provides the way of escape. Good. Thank you. God doesn't tempt it. Carrie just said God doesn't tempt anyone. James 1 talks about that as well as some other pastors. That's a great point. Uh, Bruce, did you say something? I said the same thing. Okay. All right. At the same time, that's pretty, pretty good. All right. Um, we talked about this very briefly, but I just wanted to make sure that we, we got the point because we were rushing towards the end, uh, noting the complicated character of Joab. And then what was the problem with the numbering of the people? Why, we, we, we were rushing at the end. So I wanted to just make sure. Why was that such an issue? God didn't command it. And I think Ms. Janita pointed it out, if I remember, two weeks ago. If you look at passages like Numbers chapter 1, Leviticus 26, 1 Samuel chapter 14, if you want to jot those down and read them on your own time, you're welcome to do so. God had, at other times, said, I do want you to number the people. I do want a count for a particular purpose or set of purposes. Which then leads us to the verse that I made reference to just a moment or so ago, and that is, the phrase in verse 10, I think Carrie uh, and John both really kind of have already answered that question. What I'm looking at here in chapter 24, verse 10, is that David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. Um, what does that mean? Put that. He, he knew he messed up. He knew he messed up. Yeah. His conscience got the better of him. He, which is good. We want our conscience uh, to get us when we've done wrong. We want to, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, experience godly sorrow. And so uh, we were, this is where we got to where we did run out of time. And that is, uh, what was the punishment, or more um, appropriately, what were the punishment options provided to David? Do you remember what they were? God says, all right, you've done wrong. There's going to be some sort of a consequence. And he says, I'm going to give you a choice of how many. Three. And what, what are they, broadly speaking? Three years of famine. Three years of famine or? Three months of the enemy. Okay. Three months of the enemy or? Three days of a plague. Um, verse 17. Uh, we'll get to verse 17 in just a minute. What does he choose? Okay. So, I mean, that's a, that's a tough, as a leader, you've got to make tough decisions. This is one of his toughest decisions, especially because of his own error, because of his own choices. Uh, I know we're going here kind of quickly here and are skipping some things, but uh, additional evidence of David's good character, it seems to me, is found in verse 17, where he says, Surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. Uh, so the, David seems to me to prove himself to be a man after God's own heart, not because of a, of a um, void of sin, but because when he does sin, he repents hard and confesses uh, very abundantly. And we see that <clears throat> in the Psalms, and we see that certainly here as well. Um, 
Last thing is here in chapter 24, what can we learn about the sacrifice from David's insistence uh, uh, as found in the last, oh, I guess 10 verses or so, nine verses? What, what do those last eight or 10 verses tell us? It needs to cost something. Yeah, there is a cost associated with doing wrong. There are consequences that come with doing wrong. And that was kind of where I was going with that. All right. Anything else on Second Samuel? Yes, Carrie. That's okay. Uh, Dale's on his way. Okay. Go go ahead, and then Nate, were you going to say something? I was pointing out, you know, the it may look like there's different levels of severity mm-hmm. and, and these uh, consequences, but I think they all equal out in sure. Right. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, Brother Kerry. Yeah, the comment I was going to make is there are times that sin brings consequences not just upon the individual mm-hmm. who sinned, but upon others. Absolutely. So, And we see that throughout Second Samuel on a number of occasions. We see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament where and the innocent people get hurt uh, by the shrapnel of sinful consequences. Mm-hmm. Is you know, it looks like there is a choice for the consequences to be solely on David, right? Okay. Um, where, where he says, you know, um, seven years of famine come upon your land, that would encompass everybody, right? Um, but then, or you shall flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you. That to me seems like that would be solely on David. And then the other one, um, there should be three days plagues in your land, which would affect others. Right. Interesting. We could develop that and really get into that because I've got some thoughts on that. Brother Allen, uh, Dale, right to your right. Thank you, Nate. I don't know exactly where to end with this, but, but another odd part about this chapter is the people, I, I might disagree that they are innocent. I mean, we start the chapter that the anger of the Lord is against them. We're not told why. We don't know what they've done, but from what we know about the Lord, he doesn't just become angry for no reason. Good point. They've done something, and David, in, a, in an odd way that we're talking about, trying to wrap our heads around it, is kind of the tool that he uses to punish them. And, of course, he, he goes about, you know, in a poor, sinful way as well, which even makes us an even more complicated kind of chapter and, and worth our study. It does. Thank you, Alan. Okay. Anything else on Second Samuel? Chapter 24 through back to chapter 1. I'm kidding a little bit. But we are done with that text. We're going to go into 1 Kings in just a moment. As, as often, not always, uh, key lessons that we learned. Uh, Kerry brought up one. Um, Alan brought up another one there. Uh, but one of them going back to, if you can remember back to two weeks ago, back to chapter 22. Chapter 22 is this song of praise. Uh, Old Testament passages can be very helpful in teaching us how to pray and how to praise. And I think sometimes we limit ourselves to thinking about prayer as a New Testament concept, solely a New Testament concept, when there's so much that we learn about prayer and praise in the Old Testament. And uh, we need to appreciate that. Secondly, uh, the idea of God as our rock, as the Messiah as our rock, 
That's the most important relationship. That goes back to, I think, chapter 23, one of the points that we made two weeks ago. And then the last thing uh, is we need to uh, fully and quickly confess and repent in similar fashion of David here, who says, I've done wrong. I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. All right. Let's go ahead and spend the rest of our time looking at 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2. And it's a fairly lengthy reading, 53 verses in the first chapter, 46 in the second chapter. We start out with a problem, though, in 1 Kings chapter 1, and the problem is centered around what character? Starts with an A. Another son. Went in and, and, and uh, David loved his A's when he named his children, right? Um, Adonijah. It's like, see, if you, no extra charge for this, but if you want a tongue twister, say my family, from my dad down to me, Larry, Linda, Laura, Lisa, Larry, Leah, Leland. Just like that. They love the L's. But Adonijah presumes to be king. Why did he presume to be king? What was the reason behind that? What was his rationale? What was going on here? And you may have to read between the lines a little bit. Yeah, he, he is, by some accounts, the next in line. Except that God had said who was going to be next as the king? Solomon. So, and our fourth grades, fourth grade, fourth grade uh, children would be able to tell you that after Saul came David and after David came Solomon. They'd be able to tell you that because of their parents and because of our Bible classes. Um, is there a lesson in verse 6 uh, where it's a per, uh, parenthesis, his father, who, who's the father, by the way, in verse 6? Yeah, that, that kind of, when I was reading through that again today, I was like, Ooh, I don't want to read that. Because, I, I, we, you know, we want to look at our heroes and, and, and call them out as heroes and never have any sort of issue with them. But it says, his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was very good looking. His mother had born him after Absalom. So is there a lesson that we can learn from verse 6? And, and, and if so, what is that lesson is the follow-up question. Yeah, there are times that it's appropriate and even necessary to rebuke children. Um, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And we see that in a spiritual context. We see that in a physical context. Yes, Brother Sam. Had Adonijah followed after his father, mm -hmm. he would have inquired of the Lord, Absolutely. Am I going to be next? Right. And when he got the, and, and when Adonijah, if he had had the attitude that he should have had, heard, no, it's not you, it's going to be Solomon, he should have said, well, okay, I'm disappointed, but okay. Nevertheless, not my will, but the Lord's will. Because what you talked about last week with Caleb is that David wanted something and God told him what? Said, no, not you. And David respected that. I'm sure there was some disappointment. In, in, in fact, I, I'm 99.9% sure there was disappointment in David's mind. But he says, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. And he says, Solomon, you be bold, you be courageous, and I want you to, as we started out, just go about doing God's will. 
Um, yeah, Brother Sam? He could have said, I am going to be the best counselor for my Absolutely. brother there ever was. The, he, yeah, Sam said, <laughs> good job, Michael. Just, <laughs> Sam's not allowed to make any more comments tonight. Um, but uh, no, uh, speaking of Sam, this goes very well with the sermon uh, that Sunday night talked about the idea of guarding your children. Sometimes guarding your children requires uh, the need to rebuke, the need to say shame on you, the need to say you can't do that anymore uh, because there's danger associated with crossing a street and more importantly, there's danger with crossing Satan. Okay, uh, anything else about lessons? Uh, my mind went immediately to Eli. That's where my mind went. Uh, Alan? In some way, you know, I can't remember if we talked about it at the time, back when, when Nathan first comes to David and with the talking about the sheep and that story. Mm-hmm. And David, you know, says this man should repay fourfold. You may have heard before, and you will notice that David loses four of his children to tragic circumstances that are a little unusual that most people don't face. The, the child of Bathsheba and then Amnon, Absalom, and now Adonijah. And in every one of those cases, David is mentioned in Scripture of being involved in some negative way. The the scripture really wants to point out Adonijah doesn't just do this on his own. Mm -hmm. David has a a little part to play as it did with Amnon, as it did with Absalom, Mm -hmm. and of course with Bathsheba's first child too. Yeah. Very very good point. All right. Um, Let's drop down to, and because we've got almost 100 verses to cover, we're going to skip certain things. If there's something that I skip and you say we've got to talk about it, We'll come back and talk about it. Next week, we have no text to cover, so we're going to go back and do some review and um, some things like that. So if we do run out of time, um, we'll, we'll be okay. We've got 17 minutes to roll here. Okay, uh, verse 11. Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and said, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggath, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now, uh, this is, again, uh, can you figure out the point that I'm trying to make? Uh, But what can we learn from David's, uh, about David and his character from verse 11? Particularly the mention of Nathan, which Alan pointed out just a moment or so ago. And this is something that I came across today and I thought that's, I want to delve into this for just a, a, a second or two. I'll just tell you where my mind went. And that is, when someone comes to us and rebukes us, oftentimes we might want to cut them off or say, I'm, I'm done with you. Or you are not an encouragement to me because we look at encouragement in different ways than what encouragement really is spiritually. David didn't cut Nathan off, did he? Nathan still has a role in the life of David. David could have killed Nathan. I mean, he could have. I mean, I don't think it's beyond him. I mean, he had Uriah killed, right? Um, but the fact that Nathan is still a part of the life of David tells me that David was a man who respected Nathan immensely. And I think there's something to be said for a man after God's own heart that you're willing to listen to people who are going to correct you. Uh, in the multitude of counselors, there is much wisdom as Solomon the son of David would, would write, right? So hopefully that makes sense where I was going with that. Uh, other thoughts on verse 11? 
Oh, okay. All right. Um, so describe what happens in the first 24 verses. We read just a couple of those verses, but what's happening in the first two dozen verses here? Uh, we have this conversation between Nathan and Bathsheba. David is unaware of what? What's the big thing that David hasn't heard in the news? That his son, Adonijah, has presumed to become the, the next monarch. Uh, drop down to uh, verse 23. They told the king, here's Nathan. He went and came before the king, bowed down. Nathan says, my lord, have you said, quote, verse 24... Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. And the reason I'm asking this, verse 25, is he has gone down today, sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and all these key people and Abiathar the priest, and they are eating and drinking, and they're saying, Long live King Adonijah. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. I think it's interesting the way that Nathan is approaching this uh, because there's an obvious answer to the questions. These are, in many ways, these are rhetorical questions, at least it seems to me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. But Nathan knows the answers. No, you haven't said that about Adonijah. No, you never promised that about Adonijah. It's all about the fact that Solomon's going to be the heir to the throne. Why does Nathan approach it from that perspective? And, and the Bible doesn't say, but I think there may be a lesson that we can learn from it. Maybe it's just me that thought this. Thought this. Yeah, Bruce? Microphone's on the way here. So. That David's an old man. Yeah. Go ahead. He's an old man. We could say, well, a shock like that might be harmful, but I think it was more uh, to try to prevent this from becoming higher of an or an escalation of mm -hmm. tempers and things, uh, because it says that the entire nation is looking towards him for a decision. Correct. Right. And so he needs to approach that with a cool head. Very good. And I think Nathan appreciates that. And I, Bruce makes a good point. By the way, how do we know that David is old? And I, I mean, that's kind of an easy question, but we skipped it. How do we know he's old? Verse 1, Verse one tells us he's old. Uh, he's old and he's cold. Um, I don't, and I mean that, I, 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 it rhymes, but I didn't mean that to be a joke. But, uh, but it is true that as people grow older, they get a little cooler. Uh, you, old people are cool people. That's, there we go, Bruce. <laughs> Devin, you bet you're not cool. <laughs> um, but I, I remember uh, my grandfather, age 96, it'd be 85 degrees outside and walk into his room. It's like, whoa, because he had the furnace going, you know, uh, when he was in his late, late 90s. So he's like, is it too warm in here? I'm like, no, it's fine. <laughs> Just go along with it. Um, but David is, is, an, is a very elderly individual by this point. And he's been on the throne for how many years? How many total years will he serve? He'll serve for 40 years on the throne, as we read here and other places. Okay. Uh, Nathan questions the king. 
his wishes, his plans, what we just read there. But ultimately, here's the question that I I hinted at at the very beginning, and I want us to come back to. Who chose Solomon as the next king? God. God, right? So that's that's where, going back to Sam's comment on Adonijah, Adonijah should have said, well, who does God want to be the king? If it's not me, I'm disappointed, but I'm okay with that. But that's not the way Adonijah approaches things, all right? So let's go ahead and look at the last half of chapter 1. Uh, and verses 33 down through about verse 40, 40, 41, 42, somewhere in there, is where David confirms the, the role that Solomon is going to play. Uh, particularly, I wanted to just... Uh, verse 37, As the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So it's very explicit who's going to be next. Now, verse, verse 41 uh, always uh, appealed to me. I just thought it was kind of an interesting way that it was worded. But in verse 41, it says that Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it, verse 40, the sound of great joy and rejoicing and flutes and, the, and people yelling or whatever the case may be. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, what does he say? Yeah, explain this. Why is the city, the new King James says, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? And while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said, come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. So moral of the story is, is when someone comes to you that has brought good news in the past, it may not always be good news. And this is not good news for Adonijah. Uh, This is going to be a very disappointing uh, thing here. Uh, So Jonathan brings his news to Adonijah, verses 42 through 46. Verse 47, he says, Moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David. May God make the name of Solomon better than your name. May he make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said this, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So what happens in verse 49? Adonijah and his friends, his guests, flee, right? They scatter. They they, they do. And how does Adonijah uh, react in a word or two? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, what word, I just used the word fear. He's, he's, uh, that's a great word, Ms. Sherry. Uh, the whole idea of trepidation, fear, alarmment uh, over what's going to happen. And so what, it, what ends up happening at the end of chapter 1 to Adonijah? At the, at the end of chapter 1? Told to go to his house. We're, we, and Ms. house arrest, so right. And Miss Sherry is right. We're going to get into I'm glad you mentioned that because you could read chapter 1 and say, well, things work out well for Adonijah. Well, they keep reading, right? Which is what we do here. 
Okay, anything else on chapter one? I know that we went through a lot of verses in about seven minutes there. But anything else on chapter one? All right, let's go ahead and spend uh, our final couple of moments here. Uh, We've got about six minutes left here on chapter two. And here we have what I've called David's final instructions to Solomon. I want to actually read uh, about five verses here. Uh, David drew near that he should die. He charged Solomon, his son. By the way, anytime you see in the New King, well, the New King James or any version, you see the word charged. Uh, Paul says, I charge you, Timothy. David charges Solomon. That is a very strong word. It's, it's not just a suggestion. It's not just when you get around to it. It's like, no, I am, I am charging you to do this. So I charge Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, which incidentally is not the only time that that phrase is used in the Bible. We, I think if I remember correctly, either Moses or Joshua uses the phrase, I'm going the way all the earth. Um, it's, a, it's a nice way of saying I'm about to, I'm about to, to leave. I'm about to die. Uh, I go the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, judgments, testimonies, as written in Moses' law, that you may prosper in all that you do. And wherever you turn, the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your son takes heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Uh, so... What's the first thing he, he kind of says to him there in verse 2, part B? There's a phrase that I really kind of wanted to think about. Prove yourself a man. I like that. Be a man. And we have talked about in the course of our studies here and sermons elsewhere and Bible classes that I had recently with someone uh, recently talking about this in a, in a sermon about shepherds in a local church. Being a man is not about being big and tough and gruff. It may involve some of those things from time to time, but um, among the things that God wants in a man who serves as an elder is gentleness, which is the opposite of what we sometimes, especially in uh, 20th, 21st century world, think about tough men. Tough men are not gentle. No, tough men are gentle. You think about the toughest man alive. I'm sorry, the toughest man. Well, yeah, he is alive. The toughest man who ever lived and is still alive was the gentlest of them all. So, yeah, Brother Nathan. Yeah. I just think that that statement, I think, is defined by what is said after. Absolutely. Nathan just said that, that this idea of being a man is kind of delineated by what's said after that, which is, and I, I came up with three big things here. One, be a man. Two, that means following God's commands, his statutes, his testimonies. That's what being a man is about, which includes gentleness, which includes speaking the truth, sometimes tough, sometimes not so tough, but doing so in love. Then verses 5 through 9, what does he say in verses 5 through 9? What does he say in those uh, four, four or five verses? What's the kind of the third thing I want you to do? Avenge me. I want you to deal appropriately uh, with the final enemies. And particularly, I want you to deal starting with who? Joab. Joab. We have talked about Joab for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he is always 
in, in the mix, almost always as a poor advisor or one who is latching on to the coattails of the wrongful leader or leaders. Every once in a while, he makes good advice. Remember back uh, three weeks ago, we said that Joab probably did have some good advice for David. But eight out of ten times that he, that he pops up, it's not good. Well, so in short, why is Joab going to be killed? Because of his choice in the past to shed innocent blood. And God doesn't forget about that. He will, well, okay, let me, let me rephrase that. He might. We know that the Lord remembers our sins no more. But Joab is not taking care of that in an appropriate fashion. That's beyond the scope of, it's a little philosophical, I think. It's more than I can handle because I'm not that smart. Uh, but he has shed innocent blood. And there is a rule in the Old Testament that when you kill someone, what happens to you? Your life is to be taken. Now, there are uh, times where that d- David is not dead. And he was responsible for the death of Uriah. Uh, and that's a little bit more than our, our time now uh, as well. Uh, who's the second person that's going to uh, suffer vengeance uh, at the hands of Solomon in verses 7, 8, and 9? Shimei, right? Or Shimei. Uh, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, verse 9, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. Bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. And then the last thing that we'll talk about here in our final 30 to 60 seconds is the death of who? David. This is where David's life now comes to an end. Uh, And we see that in verses 10 through 12. Um, And we see that Solomon sat on the throne of his father and his kingdom was firmly established. So things are as good as they can be right now. We talked about the underlinings of division or disunion in the country a few weeks ago. That seems to be settled. Things are now well, not seems it is settled. It's firmly established. It's they're unified. Things are looking good. But will that remain that way over the course of the next couple of hundred years? We know the answer to that. And again, our fourth graders would know the answer to that as well. And that's what we'll pick up um, going forward in the future classes. Uh, we're going to look at the last two thirds of chapter two next week, and then review. So your assignment is to read the rest of chapter two. And then if you can just kind of scan through 2 Samuel. You don't need to read 24 chapters. You're welcome to for bonus points. Uh, but just scan through. Pick out some key points that you want to discuss. We'll do a, uh, we're going to take a little test last week. You may remember 13 weeks ago we took a test. We're going to retake the test. See if we do any better on it. Although you did very well. Uh, I, looked at all the, I looked at all your tests. So. But uh, really good job tonight. Appreciate all the very good comments. We'll pick up there uh, for our final week of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings next, next week. Thank you.